Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right, let's get into the Word today. I'm excited about this one. So uh, as you notice, our series and our word for the new year is Flourish, which I'm in love with these hoodies. They're so great and they're very cozy and comfy. Um, Today, we are going to continue on with the uh, Flourish series, and we're going to talk about being rooted in the Word. Now, Pastor Steve mentioned last week uh, the definition of Flourish, which I thought was great, which is to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as a result of a particularly favorable environment. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to say to you today that you are the particularly favorable environment. You know, Cleveland, Bethel Cleveland, it's, it's all favorable, but this church is made up to what it is because God planted it here and because you became a part of it. So you are the favorable environment and the garden of your hearts can produce the beauty of Jesus when we learn to be rooted in his word in a greater way. So Pastor Steve has a podcast. Have y'all heard about that? The Steve Witt podcast? I don't know if we have like the, uh, no, we don't need to throw it up, but Pastor Steve, uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's a great chance to hear his unfiltered thought in a lot of different things and to be able to just hear, uh, you know, a lot of content about what we believe and what we're about. But um, this past week, Pastor Steve had a very intelligent, beautiful, anointed, dare I say, boss babe on his podcast as a guest this week, my wife, Ashley Brogan. She's right there in the front row. And there's something about her that you've got to know. She loves attention. She just loves it when people... I'm kidding. (laughs) She doesn't. (laughs) Um, But you know, my wife has been experiencing a a revival in her heart. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to put it into words, even share about it. I'm going to be very careful how I do it because I do believe what the Lord's planning in her is a seed that's going to go out and touch a whole lot of people. So I don't want to jostle the soil too much or share too much about what's going on with her. But, you know, when I was first exposed to revival culture, I mean, does anybody here remember your first revival service that you were exposed to where the, the Spirit of God expressed? Can I see a wave of your hands? If, you've, if you're new to this, I still say I'm new to this. I've been in it for like 16, 17 years, and I still feel like I'm new at it. Um, but when I was first exposed to it, the, the big revival that hit the church that I was a part of hit um, my spiritual parents, my pastor's wife, first. And she was uh, standing in a service one day, and she said that she felt like her legs were going to get knocked out from under her because it was like waves. And so they're in the middle of a worship service like ours. Things are going like, like they do here. The Spirit's moving. We're excited about it. But she just starts screaming, the river is here! The river is here! The river is here! And you know, after a while, you hear, can you imagine hearing somebody in the front row saying that over and over and over again? Um, nothing's broken out yet. They're just saying, the river is here. <laughs> like, okay, okay, it's here. I see it. Yes, Lord, let it come. <laughs> but she, she just kind of got lost in this revelation that the waves were coming and that it couldn't be stopped, that the revival that was going to hit that church was going to change the city and change thousands of lives. And back then they were a smaller church, but when that spirit of God hit, 
it just exploded because what, what we can't do with programs and, and great content and all that stuff that we, that we lovingly create from a posture of wanting to receive from the Lord, what man can't do, God can do. And God, when revival comes, let me tell you something. We think that we want to repent to get it. We think there's a checklist of things that we have to do before it comes. But when it comes, man, believe me, you will repent a whole lot more after it comes than you did before. Why? Because we don't earn it. But I just was kind of struck with that, that parallel here that my spiritual mother was hit with revival. And now here's my wife getting hit with a revival. I think she's an indicator. Uh, what was that word you said? Har harbinger? A harbinger of what's to come. Um, so I don't know if you guys feel like it, but just stretch out a hand towards my wife for a second. I know this seems kind of self-serving. It is just a little bit. I'm kidding. But Lord, I thank you for what you're doing and for what you're depositing in, in Ashley. And God, I just pray, Father, would you just let that seed take root just beautifully? Get all the depth that it needs, all the roots to expand, so that when it breaks the surface and releases that life, Father, would you just explode it in our church? Would you just spill out into our city? What you're doing, Father, is great. You told us not to despise the day of small beginnings. So, Lord, I thank you where it's starting. It feels like in a small, careful, protected place. But, Lord, I thank you that it's going to be so much bigger than that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the revival of the heart. Now, this all traces back to uh, 2021. Um, Pastor Steve came to me and said, hey, I have this great idea for a play. It's called Joe Christian. <laughs> Joe Christian fights with his wife. And then he falls asleep and he wakes up and he's blind Bartimaeus. He said, what do you think of that? And, you know, normally you hear an idea like that and you're like, that's, that's a great idea. I mean, but I went home and I had this whole idea <laughs> and we wrote a play. Didn't intend to use it for that, for that year, for 2021. You can ask anybody on staff. It was supposed to be a creative, like, burst meeting. We're like, what are we going to do in 22 and 23? So we wrote the play Matchless in, in a matter of, like, six days. And then we put it on within six weeks which is kind of insane. If you've ever done a production before, anybody know what that's like? It's insane. Six weeks before is ludicrous. But we did it, and we pulled it off, and we had almost like 500 people show up and give their hearts to the Lord. So the genesis of this conversation, Ashley traced it back with me um, just this past week, um, was the day after Easter. Matchless weekend was over. Easter Sunday was over. And we got into our pilot, and we were taking three kids under six to Florida for vacation. That is an experience I will never forget. <laughs> you know, they tell you, oh, like I tell people that, and they go, oh, like it's like, it's like when you tell them you had COVID or you got sick or something. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> they were actually kind of a dream. It felt like it was like a real God thing. I mean, tablets help, but the Spirit of God too mixed in there. And so we started just talking and this natural kind of dialogue and conversation started to bubble up and we started to talk about holiness and what did it mean to be holy? Because if you look at American culture and you look across the world, it's not, it doesn't take a genius and it's not difficult to spot things. You're like, well, is this the way the church is really supposed to be? Is this the way that Christians are really supposed to orient themselves towards the Lord? And you start to ask yourself the question, what is holiness? And what is holiness lived out look like in 2023? You know, there's a lot of different kind of viewpoints that have bubbled up in the body of Christ. And, you know, I, I try to 
sum them up, but in, in 1 Peter 1.16, it says, be holy as I am holy. And that kind of represents a mindset, right? Um, it's a command from the Lord. It's not something questionable. He said, be holy as I am holy. There's not really much wiggle room with that. I mean, you can try to dig into the meaning of what holiness means, but anytime you do, you're going to find out that it means holy others set apart and different just like God. So it says, be holy as I am holy. But the scripture that sometimes people from maybe a wrong mindset will bring it up is what they're using that to point out sin in other people. You need to be holy as I am holy. And I know that there's like very uh, tension, tense ground right now because we're in a cancel culture. So calling out sin makes us feel nervous. And then we also see, to be honest, you see a lot of people do it real bad, right? On Facebook, <laughs> Where they, where they call people out in their sin, but then, you know, two days later, they're liking a post that involved that sin. It's just really complicated. But the other mindset is 1 Corinthians 6. And it says, all things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So both of these scriptures, although they've kind of devolved into mindsets culturally, they're essential and they're pretty clear and direct. But somehow, as we like to do, we divide them to represent two different views. So be holy as I am holy tends to center around behaviors and all things permitted is all about your mindset, right? I can do this. It's okay. The Lord said I can do whatever I want to do, but it's just not beneficial. It's kind of like junk food. So holiness in that mindset of all things permitted, it, it separates our habits and behaviors from holiness, right? It's about the posture, the receptivity of our hearts towards the spirit of God because we are clothed in Jesus's righteousness, right? So we aren't really thinking about our habits or behaviors as much because we know that we are covered by the grace of the Lord and called in, right? Let's go a little deeper. So casual drinking, watching Graphic shows like Game of Thrones and whatever else is on Netflix and things like that. I don't even know where those shows are. Listening to secular music that I can't even put lyrically in here are all things that we're permitted to do, but not a benefit. Now, if, you, if I ask a question about those, how many of you have ever had a question about that, at least in your mind, where someone says, oh yeah, I really love that show, and you go down the list and like, I've heard it's the most graphic, terrible thing that's ever been released. I've, I've heard people say they will never be the same after seeing this show. And you're watching it? And you think that, but a lot of times we will, we will not push back we won't say anything because we hear that voice in our head saying, oh, well, that's legalism. Right? That's legalism. I want to kind of dig a little deeper. I have to tailor my notes a little bit, guys. Hold on one second while I scroll down. So there's a, a, a scripture in 2 Samuel that I've been reading, and I just wanted to read you a little portion of it. Um, it's, it's David talking about the Lord. And I want you to hear what he says about him. It says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to God for help. And he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. 
get this. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the heavens shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Furious flames leapt from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and he came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. And he shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with rain clouds. And a great brightness shone around him. Burning coals blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. So this is David talking about how the Lord responds to help, right? So imagine if you had David's mindset when you're asking the Lord for something in your life, right? Lord, come help me. And all of a sudden, the clouds get dark and the Lord steps down, fire blazing from his eyes and his mouth, and he steps into the waters. This is the God that we are coming to, to be accepted by, that we are asking for the merciful, triumphant, glorious gift of his blood. We are asking for that from him. And sometimes I think when we pray and when we ask the Lord to come down and cover us with his blood and his mercy, it comes from a posture of fear or worry. And we're saying it because we're afraid of the consequence of separation from God. And we are forgetting that he is that God too. He is the mighty one stepping down from the sky into the sea, splitting it open. And then we take it further. He's the most powerful Wonderful God. But then he has also shown himself and revealed himself through Jesus, who you know intimately. The power of covenant is that the spirit of God that was reserved only for him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that would come upon people but never live in people, now lives in you. So when we come before the Lord when we ask him for something, we need to remember who it is that we're asking from. We need to remember he is the glorious, triumphant, kind of scary king. <laughs> Real scary. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> and he's also your loving friend and companion. So when it comes to our behaviors and the way that we live our lives, I feel like there couldn't be something more relevant there couldn't be anything that we would focus our attention on more than looking at the fruit of our own lives, right? Stay with me. So there, I'm going to talk to you about the difference between legalism and holiness. But to do that, I want to break down the cultures a little bit, like break down the mindsets a little bit further. So hang on with me. So there are religious cultures and there are freedom cultures, huh? Anybody ever uh, been in a religious culture? I have. It's, you know what? You know, I'm not here to trash those cultures either because I feel like what I grew up in really discipled me. It gave me a foundation in the word that has lasted for my entire life, so I'm not ungrateful towards it. I think that religious cultures start to steer into scary waters when they start to steer like the Pharisees did, and it becomes more about the procedure and sticking to the rules. You see, in that kind of religious culture, there's a greater consequence when you break the rules, especially if it's fleshly, because we know that you know, there's followers of Jesus with great respect and care for holy traditions, right? But in the carnal version of religion, shame and fear are main drivers for, for your behavior, for change, right? It's not necessarily a desire to follow the law of the Lord as it is to follow the highlighted rules of the house. You know, it's how you can find a church culture that, you know, I've seen and, and heard about. There's a couple 
friends of mine scattered throughout the U.S. Uh, met a lot of them through um, songwriting and song labs. And I've heard stories about some of those churches. There's a, a friend of mine who goes to a church where they really didn't want emotionalism or worship in their services. They didn't want the music. They felt like it was too fleshly and too carnal. But on the same hand, if you spend time with, with the people group, they are totally fine with drinking heavily and cursing all the time, but, but it doesn't make sense, right? It's like they don't compute, and that's what happens with religious cultures. We highlight and gravitate towards the things we think that God has said in the beginning, and then, initial, then it kind of trickles on down like the Pharisees did with the law trickling into oral tradition, right, where they had add-ons to the law of Moses and held people accountable for those. So stay with me. We're going. So it's so no effort of humanity can ever cross a chasm that sin created. No amount of good behavior is going to get you there. And religious cultures fail when they attempt to complete what began in the spirit through the flesh. You know, religious people will write people off, right? When you fail, you get sent into the restoration process. Anybody been sent to the restoration process before? It's a scary place to go in the religious cultures. It's a place you go until they're not afraid of your sin so much anymore. It's not a fun place. But let's flip to the other side of that coin here because we talked about the benefits, some advantages and disadvantages of, of the religious culture. I want to talk to you now about a culture of freedom, which is much more our speed, right? We're totally more of a culture of freedom. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are a benefit means that there's a responsibility for me to manage my freedom, right? So I'm going to give you a great example. Last week, my youngest, Madeline, have you seen her? She's that little turnip with like curly hair and looks really cute running around. So um, my kids have this, I, I'll, be, I'll be transparent with you. You know, we're always transparent with each other. My kids, they just don't eat vegetables. They just won't do it. They just won't. Has anybody, like, I mean, I see some people nodding their heads, you know, but like, I mean, my, my mother-in-law, Nanny, she can get him to eat spinach or like asparagus or whatever. If you're watching, thank you, Cindy. Um, but for us, they just hate vegetables. So we actually had this idea that we were going to get them to eat instead of like, you know, something starchy, we're going to give them chopped up vegetables like carrots with chip dip for dinner. And so I, I got this big chip dip and I put it into, um, you know, the, uh, the chip dip that has uh, a word on it I won't say in church and, and, and tried to put it into her mouth. And she, for 15 minutes, must have been 15, right, hon? She was like, crying at the top of her lungs with chewed up carrot in her mouth like this. I can't, I can't, I can't, because the taste of the carrots was apparently so repugnant, so vile, so terrible with the chip dip that she couldn't swallow it down her throat. She was just like, I can't do it. It's going to be there forever. That's what she kept saying. Forever. And I'm just like, and I'm like, honey, you're just going to thank me one day when you grow up. What <laughs> the carrots. <laughs> when you're a kid, it's your parents' responsibility to make sure that you eat healthily, right? But when you moved out, you went away to college, you got your own apartment. I know there are some Taco Bell habituals in this room. I know there are some McDonald's and Wendy's goers. I know there are some of you here. And just to give you an example of freedom and responsibility, there was probably consequence to the way that you ate, right? Maybe in the form of an expansion. 
maybe in some thunder <laughs> happening. <laughs> you had the freedom to eat whatever you wanted, and you did, and it has some consequences. So, you know, we grow up, and we can have cookies for breakfast if we want, but we want to manage our freedom in a way that causes our body to flourish and not to break down, right? So when we look at 1 Peter and we look at 1 Corinthians and the two aspects of holiness and what it means, you got to look at everything because Christians, we are so stinking good at taking scriptures out of context, right? So that verse about all things being lawful and permitted, how many of you heard somebody say that before when you talk to them? Anybody? Oh, all things are permitted, not all beneficial? Yeah, a couple of you. Um, but the verse right before it, right before it, right before it says, uh, do you not know that unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, those habitually drunk, verbal abusers, swindlers, they will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Well, hold on, stop there. We'll inherit the kingdom of God. But we walk around saying, well, all things are beneficial, but not all things are permitted. I mean, helpful to me. So don't judge me. But it says in verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. So when you become rooted in the word, your life is going to begin to flourish in new ways. The culture of religion and freedom inside of you, the ones that go to opposite ends of the spectrum, they turn back to the center of where Jesus is. You see, God is calling the body of Christ into a new wave of holiness. And holiness can look like legalism. Right now, my wife has deleted Instagram and Facebook from her phone. She is uh, changing what kind of shows we watch. Honestly, the only thing we can watch is like family-friendly game shows. It's driving me nuts, but also I love it because the Lord's in it. Um, <laughs> uh, but the way that she's been saying it, she says, I just feel like a veil's been lifted off my eyes since I've been studying the word. It's been 120 days into it, and a veil's been lifted. And she said, I'm just beginning to see how easily manipulated we are. Come on, we get so caught up in our lives, and I think that we think that the devil's in the background going, <laughs> coming up with all these crazy, maniacal ways to get at you in some secret way. And it's not secret. It's the steady eddies. He knows how to get you right? So like you're praying, you're getting centered on the word of God, and then somebody comes up and says something that touches right on that nerve of your biggest insecurity. And you go nuts. You go bonkers. You forget your Christianity. You're saying things that you would have never said. I mean, I know that some of you have gone through this. You're saying things after your Bible reading that you thought, this doesn't sound like the same person. <laughs> 15 minutes ago, I was like, bless God, just pray you'd bless my enemies. And then 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, God. I won't say. <laughs> when I was 11, I was a little religious. So when people hurt me, I used to pray that the Lord would just, you know, deal with them on judgment day. <laughs> That's a little honesty right there for you. <laughs> but holiness can look like legalism, right? And so... Ashley giving up all this stuff, us kind of removing certain movies and things that probably weren't even wrong. 
like stopping to listen, listening to certain artists and things on Spotify and filling our home with worship instead, that can start to look like legalism, right? We're cutting things out to try to be holy. So we're trying to modify, we're doing a hack job on our habits to try to, to be more palatable to God. But it looks like legalism only if you don't understand the source or the motive behind the transformation. So what's the difference between legalism and holiness? So in legalism, if our motivation is a religious one, and I'm talking about the kind of religion that Jesus just couldn't stand. You see, he never had a, he never had a negative word to say about anybody in their sin. They, they dragged a woman right out of the act of adultery and threw him at his feet. And he still didn't even condemn her then. He told her to go off and sin no more, but he didn't condemn her. You know who he did condemn? It was always those religious people who held the law over mercy and compassion and didn't understand what God created us for and what he came to do, right? That kind of religion, it, it'll hold people over the fire for sins and habits that offend us. Not because we want them to be right with God, but because we want them to be compliant with how we think holiness should look right? The Pharisees were so angry about Jesus and the way that he operated, and they wanted to know where his authority came from, and they were so infuriated by it. But it wasn't, it wasn't because Jesus was actually healing people. They couldn't even see the fruit of heaven in his life because they were just so mad about the way that he was doing it. In legalism, if you watch The Chosen, my favorite quote, one of the Pharisees said, the law is God. And the truth is, it it is. It's his word. It is God. But he's not talking about the living, breathing word. He's talking about the written one, and that's it, and God can never speak or do anything new. Like, he stopped speaking after Moses. So legalism is all about that. It's just a bunch of behavior, hack job modifications. And you know where it gets you? Jesus said that the Pharisees were beautiful white sepulchers, beautiful white tombs filled with dead man's bones, no life inside. That's where religion takes you. But then we get into holiness. Now, holiness is both a root and a fruit. Remember Pastor Steve? Rooted and fruited. Rooted and fruited. It comes from the motivation of the heart. Ashley says that she keeps uh, feeling like she's in a big china shop. And she doesn't want to mess it up or shatter anything. She doesn't want this incessant hunger for the word to go away. She literally meditates on it all the time. It's all we talk about now. And you know, it's a new way of being. We're not making adjustments in our home to be perfect or to be better. We're doing it because we want to steward a home that invites the Lord. We want to read the word because we want to know how to honor him when he comes. I'm not dropping things out of my life to make something happen. I'm doing it in response to what is happening. And that's the difference between legalism and holiness, is that legalism is our attempt to control God, put him into a box, to predictable behaviors. Because we think that following the rules and doing things a certain way is what he is after. But if we're honest and we're legalistic, it's because we love the control that we get from it. And we, we think that God is after a certain way or how we can guarantee how he's going to respond. Like, if we do this, he has to do this. We think that's who he is. It's not. It's not. He's after you. 
He's after your heart. He wants you to flourish through rootedness in his word. The word says that in Jesus, you are washed, sanctified, and justified. And that means that the old ways of doing things, things that you may feel okay about, shift when he comes. Suddenly, it's not about taking out the trash, but it's about making room for him to grow and flourish within you. So the things that you used to do, the things that you used to allow into your homes, they will shift when the presence of God starts to come because once it's there and you feel it, all of a sudden what matters to him and the way that he operates and the way that he's being supersedes any of your comfort, your desires, the things that you wanted prior to it because they have been replaced by this one thing because once you've tasted of the presence of God, once you sense his nearness and his closeness for real in your life, nothing else will ever satisfy you again. So you will make whatever shift you need to make to make room for him to expand and flourish in you. Amen? So at home, we read the word. We cry. We watch The Chosen and cry some more. (laughs) We stop watching movies that have trashy values and we prioritize time together in a way that nourishes our souls. You know, I gave you guys a term a couple months ago, you probably don't remember it, but I called it stress rest. Stress rest is what you do when you're burned out and you're tired from work and you come home and you don't do something that nourishes your spirit. You just do something that numbs it. You watch the same movie you watched again. You get on Instagram or TikTok and you just go through reels for eight seconds, which by the way, trains your brain to have a a goldfish attention span. Actually, more goldfish can hold their attention for seven min- like seven minutes. We can only do six now. It's crazy. It's getting less. But stress rest is when we come in and we do things to just to numb, to kind of kick the can down the road, and to uh, watch that show, watch that movie, read that book, something that just makes us forget about our life for a minute. But it's waiting for us when we come back. So you don't feel rested when you come back. You don't feel rejuvenated when you come back. You just feel the same that you did when you pause. It's just kicking it down the road. And then if you do the social media deal, then guess what? You're probably more stressed because that's what it does. So another thing that's happened in our home, I just want to, is it okay if I'm just sharing with you what's happening in our lives? I'm just so excited about it. It's been kind of nuts the way that the Lord, like we, we bought our house a couple of months ago and we felt like the presence of God filled the house, but now it's shifted and changed again. And it just feels, I feel like I'm living with the Ark of the Covenant, but I was never a gamer. My family didn't play games. I think the only game we ever played was Sorry. I mean, the actual board game, not, not, wasn't a play on relationship. I was never a gamer, but we play Scrabble, cards, Battleship, and we talk. You know, Ashley's obedience to the Lord's call has opened up the window of heaven in our lives. And it feels like John in the Isle of Patmos when the window opened and the Lord said, come up here, come up now. You see, the rootedness in the word has traveled through our house like a rushing wind. I, I found uh, Josie's New Year's resolutions from her second grade class. Would you guys like to hear what they are? It says, I'm going to try to give you the misspelled things too a little bit just because it's cute. Reading the Bible more and praying more. Reading Narnia more often. And helping Palopal carry the groceries. 
So she asked me a couple weeks ago if she could have one of my Bibles, and I, I gave it to her. I gave her the one I had ministry school with all my notes in it, and I thought, that's cute. But she, I mean, she's a good one, right? She'll, she'll stay up to like 10 or 11 sometimes just reading out loud the Bible in her bed. So you come in to tell her to go to sleep, and she'll be like, why are you keeping me from God? <laughs> How do you argue with that? <laughs> well, the Lord told me you're supposed to go to sleep. <laughs> we could go back and forth. And so I found a list of scriptures that she wrote on construction paper beside her bed. And I wanted you to read the ones that she is reading every night, that she transcribed, because they're, they're all over the place. <laughs> Psalm 16, 8. I'll keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 78, 41, will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders he has done. I do know why that one was there, I'll be honest with you. That was one of her memory verses from last year, and we did write a song to it. And it goes, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders he has done. And so she sings that all the time around the house. But then this is my other favorite one is Ruth 116. Um, but Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I'll go wherever you go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. See, the word is powerful. You open that door in your life. I didn't prompt her to do any of that. I didn't tell her to read the Bible, but she watches us do it. And she listens to the conversations. And it releases something in the house that will travel down generations in your family. You think your kids aren't paying attention or they're not listening. They are. They're hearing every word. They're watching your habits and your behaviors. And they're hearing you say that the Lord is God. And they're watching what that looks like lived out every day. Because they'll come here and they'll see worship. And they'll come here and they'll hear the word. But when they go home, that is, that is their introductory box. What does it look like to really love God? What does it look like to really follow God? You see, one of the things that helped me, and I'll say this right before I dive in with my parents, is I think that we all know nobody's perfect, right? There's not a perfect parent out there. Are there any here today? Can you give me any tips? <laughs> Just the father, right? So there is no perfect parent. But we can, the kids aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for authenticity. And they'll know it if you love the Lord. And they'll know it if you're following him. And you might not do it perfect. And you might not read as much as you'd like to, pray as much as you'd like to. But they know. And that is the seed the Lord is talking about. That when you train up a child in the ways of the Lord, when they're old, they won't depart from it. We always come back home. Every kid always comes back home to their introduction to the Lord. And the one, thing I, one of the things I've always valued about my parents is that they genuinely loved the Lord, genuinely loved him. And they were always kicking my butt out the door to go do things for the Lord, <laughs> like forcing me to join the worship team. Thanks, Mom. So the word is powerful. We're coming in for a landing here, okay? The word is powerful. So I want to unpack the revelation of the power in his word. And one of the greatest revelations you can unpack 
is that the word itself is powerful. I know that sounds really lame to say it just like that, but I've been having this crazy revelation about the word. You see, for most of my adult life and even through ministry school and years leading up to, I'm 35 now, I, I always judged that the word was powerful because I'd say the word is powerful because it transforms lives. The word is powerful because it formed the cosmos. The word is powerful because it, it was always the utility of the word. It was always what the word did or what it accomplished. And I think that we miss the forest for the, the trees when we, when we make the word of God something that we just measure based on the results. But the word itself is powerful. It's not just what it does once it's planted in soil. When you hold that word in your hand, when you read it, and even if you don't understand let me tell you, the word, those stories, those scriptures, they were designed to be wrestled with. They were designed so that you'd have questions and not fully understand it. And so that you'd have to dig in to get the revelation. It's the glory of kings to discover that revelation, right? The Lord hides it for us to find. So the word of God itself, when you hold it in your hand, this is a word that has lasted for, gen for generation upon generation. It's outlasted kingdoms and empires and lives. You see, there was a, a word that was spoken. There was light when Jesus spoke. There was land. There was men and women. Lazarus rose from the dead. Demons flee. Jesus said it was finished. The grip of death was broken. Heaven's gates flung open wide. Restoration of all forms of Jesus' death and resurrection took place. All the souls were redeemed. Addictions broken, bodies healed, minds restored. All the result of his word. All the transformation flowing out of it. The word itself is powerful. It's treasured by the persecuted and the martyrs. Watch this video. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it in for landing here. Joe, if I can get you up here, my man. I watched this video of this pastor sharing about his time overseas in a nation that, it's a communist nation that forbids the following of Jesus. And um, he got there and these people were clamoring for the American preacher. Tell us the word of God. Tell us the stories. Preach to us. They wanted hours of it. And he said that he was kind of blown away because he found out that these people, in secret, risking their lives, together they represented millions of people in underground churches. And they were coming to hear from him. And some of them had rode on trains for four days to get there. So they waited hours and hours and they did it in the secret of night. And they're like, tell us, tell us, tell us the next thing. That, do you, can you imagine that level of hunger? I was convicted when I saw that video this week. I looked at my, my phone and I thought, I have every Bible translation available to man right here at my fingertips. And these people are memorizing scriptures by the chapter every day so that they can internalize it into their spirit before they have to go to prison. That's the hunger of the word. It is priceless. It's smuggled into nations as priceless truth memorized in the dark of night. It's the most powerful force on earth. It is life. And I don't think any of us are bad people that we don't get it, that we're not rooted in the word. I just think sometimes we, we have to tell our soul and remind ourselves because we're surrounded by so much 
abundance, privilege. That we ask the Lord, teach me the value of this, that I might look at the word rightly and see it for what it is, the most powerful force on earth. Because you can grow, you can flourish in a healthy, vigorous way if you plant yourself in his word. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. So if I live in life union, if I abide in the vine, if his, if his words live powerfully within me, then what I ask for will not only be done, but I'll be rooted in his will and I'll learn how to ask for things that cause me to flourish with his life and his righteousness in me. It says in verse 10 of the same chapter, if you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I kept my father's commands where I continually lived nourished and empowered by his loves. So if you keep my commands, you will live in my love. If we keep his word, then it becomes the house of his love that we live in. Not just experience it, but live in it. Not just occasionally when I need it, but consistently all the time. His word is the deed to living in this house of love. And if we keep it, we can live within it. Would you just stand up on your feet with me today? I think we all have been in the same place from time to time when it comes to the word. We hear a message like this. We hear a call into the word of God and we think about our history of inconsistency. We think about the spurts that we've been into the scriptures and, and this discouragement comes upon us. But Jesus said, that loving me empowers you to obey my word. So obedience is proof of love, but it's his love that empowers us to be obedient. Here's the beauty of it all. We have Jesus as our shining example of how to live rooted in the word. He demonstrated how to hear from God, how to discover your calling and how to live it out perfectly with the Father. We have limited sight. We see as through a glass darkly, but when it comes to the future, we're finite. We don't see the future. We're limited by the, by the natural, finite piece of our mind. Jesus surrendered every right. He learned how to hear from God just like you and I did. He didn't have an advantage. He didn't hear from God just being the son of God. He laid all that down, which means he had to memorize the Torah. He had to learn how to hear from God. And he had to learn how to hear from God about his calling and destiny in the same way that you and I can. He flourished because he was rooted in the word. And so today, God wants to ignite a personal revival in you through his word. He's inviting you. This is my favorite thing. I, I had a picture of it. He's inviting you into a holy chrysalis. He wants to put you into a cocoon like a butterfly of transformation where you're gonna emerge completely new. So, some of you are in a season of pruning. And when you're being pruned, it doesn't feel good, does it? 
Some of you have been walking around saying, God, why are these people leaving out of my life? Why do I feel like I'm being laid bare? Why do I feel like uh, disoriented, like I don't know what's next? Lord, I was following you. I was doing what you asked me to. What is going on? And the Lord is wanting you to know today that you're not being punished. You're being rewarded. He is pruning you. He is making you ready for greater fruitfulness in your life. And so today, God is pruning you. And it is a reward, not, not punishment. He is rewarding you because of what you've already done in your faithfulness. And it may feel like you're being laid bare. That opportunity is going away. Those doors are shutting. Those people are leaving. But God is saying, I am pruning you for greater fruitfulness because of your rootedness in my word and in my spirit. And so today I wanted to pray for just a couple of people as we close. Mm. I want to pray that you would have the anointing within you to withstand the anointing upon you. Pastor Benny talked about that. He said, you want to know why so many preachers fail? It's because they neglect the word. The anointing from within can't support the anointing that comes upon when they step into greater influence. And I want to pray today that the Lord will start something in you. A seed will be planted. You might not even see it happen immediately, but a seed's gonna be planted within you that's gonna germinate into a revival that transforms your life. So if you'd like that seed to be imparted to you today, I just wanna ask you to come up, ministry teams to the front, you can fill up here, but if you'd like that seed imparted to you, and this is the real thing, I'm not looking for just a big like fluff of crowds or whatever to come up here. If you want the seed of the word, if you want that seed of revival, what the Lord's releasing in this house imparted to you, let me prereq you with a few things. You are asking, you are inviting the Lord into your life to completely transform it. You are inviting him in to uh, and giving him permission to ask you to let go of things, to ask you to remove the things that are holding you back. You will have things like oil on water bubble to the surface. The things that you've put away sequestered in boxes in your subconscious will be flung wide open for the Lord to deal with. So when you're asking for this seed to be planted, it is not something light. It's not something I'm just throwing out there at the end to make you feel good. This is something the Lord is doing. And if you'll receive this seed in your heart of this hunger for his word, then I believe that you will become rooted. It's a seed of his word. So if that's something that you want in your life in a greater measure, you want to invite this revival, I want to invite you to come up out of your seat and fill out the front of the altar right now as I'm going to pray for you for the Lord to give it. It's all right, guys. Out of the eyes, you can just come up here across the front right here. This is good. I can get some of the ministry team in the aisles to help, like, kind of span people through. Oh, man, I, I just, I hope you hear my heart in this. This isn't just a, a wishy-washy, I hope you get it thing. The Lord really does want to plan it into you. I got a word from a prophetic voice I respect that said, you expect the unexpected today. And so if... I want to invite you again just one more time because I really do believe this is a special seed that's getting planted, a personal revival in you today. Would you come up to the front and receive this today?
good. All right, put your hand over, over your belly right here. A lot of people tell me that's where the spirit is. Mm. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. Father, that there is nothing more powerful in this face of the earth than the seed of your word. And Father, that when it's planted in us, that hunger, that desire, Father, a revival takes place, it transforms. It's just cause and effect. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for the uh, soils that are receiving this delicate seed this morning. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would cause that seed to be lovingly surrounded by the soil of their heart, to be protected and guarded and watered and taken care of. And God, I ask that revival would begin to spring out of them, Father. I ask that what they carry on the inside of them would begin to transform first their own life and their home as they make adjustments to make way to prepare a place for you to come. Father, I thank you, Father, that you are releasing in them the grace to let things go and the grace to pick things up. Father, I just pray that you would surround that seed with an angelic host of angels, Father, and that as it grows, it would seep into their family, into their loved ones, into their friends, and into the relationships, God, that this seed would germinate and just spread. Thank you, Father. And for the second group, if you're in a season of pruning, can you just raise your hand up so I can see you? Season of pruning, the Lord's taking things out, making space for things. Hmm. I see your hands. What a reward. <laughs> oh. Father, I just pray for everyone in the season of pruning right now where it feels like they're being lopped off, losing branches everywhere, just getting so bare, seeing things close. Lord, I thank you for the reward of being propped up for greater fruitfulness. And Lord, that we would be able to stand before you and say that pruning is love. And to be able to recognize it as that, that pruning is love. So, Father, I just thank you for what you're doing. Holy Spirit, you're the divine gardener, the architect of our, our bodies and our lives, and you're causing us to flourish and grow. So, Lord, I pray that as the pruning continues, Lord, I pray that encouragement, sunshine, even the branches that have stayed to bear fruit, God, I thank you for the buds that are already emerging, for the things that are already coming out of the pruning. God, I thank you that you are setting them up for something in their future that they have not yet seen. You are peeling back. You are shutting those doors to make way for what you are about to do in their life. God, I thank you that the fruitfulness is gonna be a hundred times over. Father, that you're gonna expand in their life. And God, I just pray that you would just give them the strength and the tenacity to be able to endure the pruning at your careful and loving hands. In Jesus' name. Mm. Bethel Cleveland, I bless you in the name of the Father that you'd go out of this place rooted in his word, filled with his presence. I bless you to have a greater hunger for the word than you've ever had before, and that the seed you received in your spirit today, that it would, that it would sprout that there would be revivals breaking out in your homes, hunger of the word of God and for the presence unlike you have ever experienced. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.